This week's episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by East Asia Soft and their extensive line of limited print physical games for PS4 and PS Vita. Each month, East Asia Soft releases popular indie games equipped with sleek, limited edition packaging alongside collectible extras, like original soundtracks, art books, and alternative covers, all for only $34.99 each, with free shipping. Current offerings include the Korean bullet hell title Shikando Soul Eater, the Zelda-inspired action-adventure game Reverie, and the tower defense shooter Exmorph Defense. You can find those and more at PlayAsia.com. That's Play-Asia.com. Use the code SACRED, that's S-A-C-R-E-D, when checking out to get $3 off your order. Why, hello there. To receive each episode of Sacred Symbols three days earlier than the public, totally ad-free. To have your questions, comments, and concerns read on the air. To hear your name in the end credits, and to score other cool perks, please consider supporting this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Not only will your subscription net you benefits for Sacred Symbols and allow this show to continue into the future, but those benefits also carry over to other CLS shows too, including the video game-centric YouTube show SideQuest, the retro and nostalgia-themed podcast Knockback, and the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats. In other words, you're getting insane bang for your buck. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and CLS couldn't and wouldn't exist. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the second ever episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always, or it will be as always. Let's say, you know, yeah. I mean, it will be as always. Uh, Chris Raygun. Chris, thank you for joining me today. Of course, man. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Pretty damn good. Yeah? Yeah. Do you have air conditioning in your in your apartment? Yes. Okay, good. Thank thank Christ. Good, good. It's, it's very, very hot in the Los Angeles area this it's, past few days. It's really, really bad. And I'm seeing. I feel bad. I feel like I'm in my ivory tower because I have I have central air. You have air conditioning. I have but, well, I have central air, but it's getting to the point where everybody is blasting it. So the lowest setting is isn't nearly as effective as the lowest setting usually is because everybody's blasting it. So it's uh, it's 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 un <laughs> it's just really unfortunate reading these Twitter hashtags or whatever of people dying. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I I think you. I, if I remember correctly, your old apartment had air conditioning but you were in some sort of dead zone or something right was it, it the air conditioner got to every other room except mine right so it was a wall unit so you kind of un you understand that oh yeah then 100 percent. but i really don't get how anyone can live here without an air conditioner i would actually kill myself probably i would kill myself it's uh it's not fun it baffles me that uh, buildings don't all just kind of have them here right because i feel like it would be expected that hey it's los angeles it gets hot Man, man, does it get hot? It really does. It's it's funny because in my building here, they we have central air in all of our units, but they refuse to turn the air conditioner on in the hallways or in the in the lobby, which right. you probably realize because it's fucking sweltering in this building <laughs> when you're not in an actual apartment. And I complained about it last year, last summer, and they gave me this whole runaround. Like they're like the building's not set up for air conditioning. I'm like the building was built like seven years ago, and there's air conditioning vents. Yeah, and they're sealed over. I'm like I'm not stupid. You guys are that cheap. That you won't run air conditioning in the... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I feel bad for everyone without the AC. But to your point, I was at Palm Springs a couple weeks ago, and there was a note in the Airbnb for the house I rented saying that 
Uh, don't expect the air conditioner to get much hot, cooler than 75 degrees or something like that because it's so fucking hot there. Oh, my God. I can't take the heat, dude. It's really bad. I don't it's, know why I moved here. Definitely not my thing. All right. First of all, Chris, we got we to gotta come right out and say we got to thank everyone for their amazing support. No, absolutely. It's been insane, honestly. It's, it's awesome. It, it, was, it was unexpected. And, you know, I expected that we would get uh, an audience that would listen to our show and, and that we would grow that audience. And I still assume we will grow that audience. But more than 50,000 people listen to our show across podcast services on YouTube and on Patreon. And that is an amazing number for uh, for any podcast, frankly. And it's an amazing number for uh, an inaugural Maiden episode of a podcast that did not exist until I literally announced it that day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's so it's pretty cool. So congratulations to you. Because yeah, congratulations to you, man. You started you. it. Thank you. Well, everyone seems to love you, and I think you did a great job. And I always do a great job. So there's there's <laughs> no there's no worry there. But but seriously, thank you thank you to everyone. I. Between Facebook and Twitter and Patreon, I mean, thousands of messages, like of, of just notes and thank yous and, and critiques and all of those kinds of things. We appreciate that. And remember, you can support the show, get it early and ad free on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You can also submit questions for the show. We're actually going to have questions. More than 100 people submitted actual questions to this episode. We're not obviously going to read them all, but I'm excited about that as well. Give us a little bit of structure. But before we get any further, Chris, I want to ask you what you've been playing. I see here on our notes per our conversation last week that you're playing Prey. Yeah. So how is it? It's uh, it's interesting. There are parts, there are times when I'm playing Prey where I'm like, this is really, really good. And I really like how this feels and how free the environment is. It feels like, because um, Bioshock, because everybody makes that comparison of Prey to Bioshock, but Bioshock's very, very tight. It doesn't give you a lot of, you can't, mess around with physics too much in Bioshock really but there's a lot of kind of interesting interplay with physics and prey and I think it's uh when it works it's really nice but the controls are really really finicky and it's it's kind of awkward to control and it, it kind of uh, I don't know I'm in the middle of like just loving it and kind of putting it off and never playing it again it's fair really con- it's really confusing fair enough yeah it's it's it- you know, I think I spoke about it a, a little bit last week on the show that I feel like the, the Bioshock comparisons are apt. I understand that. There are some weirder Bioshock comparisons with other games that like yeah. We Happy Few, the, ex, the upcoming Xbox One game. A lot of people are talking about how that that's like Bioshock. And I'm like, it looks like Bioshock, but I don't think it necessarily plays like it. I can see the comparisons on a gameplay level here. Mm-hmm. But for me, I remember the specific part of Prey that I got to where I'm like, I can't play this anymore. And it was it was a, a specific combat section because I think it called to attention the, the the flaws in the game's combat and the game's the way the game manages inventory and ammo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, have a, I have a big problem with it. It was just not fun. Yeah, and, it's the combat is really really rough around the edges, and it, there there are points where I'm trying to switch to a weapon and it just straight up won't switch because the, there's something going on with the the favorite system or or the um the inventory system. It it but I feel like the Bioshock comparisons are more apt simply because. They feel they both both games feel derived from System Shock. Uh, I don't know if you ever played the old like System Shock. I never games. did. No, they're very janky nowadays. But Prey, for better or for worse, is very very kind of weirdly faithful to that old style of System Shock, and where like the inventory is is in a very specific style, and like how you play is you know there's like leaning and uh i don't know i i'm gonna keep playing it because i think there's something good there it just take i feel like it takes a bit of letting yourself accept the flaws sure but uh yeah i'm not i'm not super sure how i feel about it quite yet 
That's fair. I, I think, you know, to your point, I think that that's almost every game we play, right? Like uh, your, your kind of your level of tolerance of the game's flaws in the relation to what the game does right. And I met that kind of that. I, I lost that happy medium. I hope you're able to sustain it should you want to go back and play it. But I was a little it, I was of two minds. I was a little surprised that I didn't like it more because of its comparisons. Mm-hmm. And I was also a little surprised that people like it as much as they do. It was. It's one of those weird games like that actually gets underneath my skin. Where it's a, it's a similar. <laughs> I know I've said it before, but it's a similar thing to Zelda the on Switch, where I'm like, I just it's great, but like yeah. every, the way people are talking about this game is like when I I went in and played Zelda like at length six months after it came out. I bought it when it came out, and then I just like lost you know lost track of time. Was doing other stuff, and when I went back and played it, I'm like. It was almost the way people talked about it ruined it for me because I'm like, it's certainly not what yeah, you're saying th- it is. I think even if you're very, very aware of the hype and like kind of, you know, hey, you know, I'm not going to fall into the hype. You know, I'm just going to anticipate things to be decent and like play them. And if I enjoy them, good. Uh, but I feel like even if I don't think anybody's immune to that kind of thing where it's like you hear so much about something. It's like it's got to be good. I really enjoyed Zelda. I didn't love it as much as, you know, I, I think it, I feel I think we probably feel very similarly about it. I adore the physics in that game. Me too. And it's probably like the most, it's probably the most fleshed out thing about it. And the thing that I love the most about it is just like how, how weird, exp- how many weird experiments you can pull with, with uh, like the balloons and the rafts and all this weird, weird stuff. It's, it's fun seeing people mess around with it, especially the gifs that come out. Oh yeah. I think someone put a horse on top of like a Pona on top of a raft and then shot it on top of the church steeple. And then the horse like falls off the building. And so I, I, I agree with you in that what I was most impressed with with Zelda was if I thought I could do something, I I could. Yeah. Which was amazing. Like, I'm like, can I... And it was little things, but things that a lot of games don't deal with, mostly because of the ramifications on RAM and all those kinds yeah. of stuff. But I remember even really being impressed when I'm like, I can't get that apple. Can I shoot it down? And I could shoot it down. And then it's like... And then you can pick up your arrow and the apple. Yeah. So I know that's like kind of a minor thing, but it's it was cool. I was it's like, a cool attention to detail, yeah. I think. And I think, honestly, Prey kind of has a little bit of that going on. Because there are points where it's like, oh, can I... Because there's a gun in that game that like kind of creates matter. It's like a glue gun, and you can you can like make basically like boulders, and you can stick them to anything. And I was like, oh, can I can I just make a staircase and skip this entire point? And I and you could you could just like carefully inch your way up this like self-made staircase and break your way through a a window into a place that you're supposed to get to when when the alternate route is like you got to sneak around and get a key card. It's like oh my god, this is neat that I can do that. Yeah, so it's, awesome. it, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like I like that freedom uh we'll see how it holds up though i don't know well you'll have to report back next week definitely because I saw you've been i saw you've been playing fallout yeah fallout uh i so i, I told the story last week about how I, I think i told it about how i went and, and kind of rebought it because it was cheaper that way yeah and then me going and taking an uber to get it from my friend and and so yeah i'm like 10 hours in i haven't you know i've been i've had a busy week i'm trying to kind of manufacture free time by front loading my work so that was kind of what last week was about for me but you know, I originally played Fallout 4 right before it came out. We got copies at Kind of Funny probably in mid-October. And it was, I think I got distracted by other stuff. I played it for probably 25 or 30 hours at that time. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, I coming off of Witcher at the time, Witcher 3, which I wasn't crazy about, but I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. I was like, this game feels so antiquated and looks antiquated and controls antiquated. And Bethesda's <laughs> is like in their own little world with this shit. And clearly with Fallout 76, they don't care because it's just more of that. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I moved on to other things and I was in hindsight, I was like, maybe I'm a little too harsh on it. I love Fallout 3. I especially love New Vegas. So maybe there's more for me to 
to explore here. Understanding, of course, New Vegas is an Obsidian game, but I still loved it. Yeah. And it's I'm kind of I'm laboring through it. Like I I I, I play it like an hour, an hour and a half at, the, at a time, which is weird for a game like that. You usually don't play games like that. You usually play it for ten hours at a time, and it's just it's just that Bethesda jank and all that. Sh- I just yeah. I want to see it through because I think it is a cool game. I lived in in Boston for five years, so it's kind of neat to see the sights and sounds, especially when you get towards Fenway Park. And and I like that familiarity. And the story is obviously very cool, and, and, and there's a lot of attention to detail. But it is so antiquated, and it makes me wonder about Fallout 76, which comes out this October, or November, I think it's October, about are they going to fix any of this stuff? Like, how can you continue to make games that look and play like this in 2018? You know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> they do feel a bit behind, but there's, I don't know what it is about, Bethesda, and I know it's, it's a weird, I don't know. A lot of people have like a bit of a hate boner for Bethesda, but uh, I don't love a lot of what they do. I thought Skyrim was at most kind of okay. I think a lot of the Fallout games that they've made are, well, Fallout 3. Is, was mostly just okay. But I think what sucks me into those games is just kind of the feel, like the atmosphere of it. Just the music and like the way everything kind of, the, the way the characters talk. Even in Skyrim, even though it was everybody had the same exact voice. It was, it was, the, right. it was the, the music and the, uh, the, the tone that they were speaking in. That's just like, oh, it, just, it just feels good to just kind of be in this stupid, stupid, broken world. It is, it's, it's, it's it's a it's a story of two games for me every time I play one of their games because on one hand you have to really respect the the, the breadth of the game and the, yeah. the depth of it and you know like you walk into a building and there's and you find a random firefight between raiders and robots or ghouls are getting mowed down by gun turrets and th- weird I understand that making a game this dynamic is is a really tall task like I totally understand the games break in really unique ways and it's impossible almost to QA a game like that so yeah I understand that but at the same time I don't understand how a studio with that much money and that much success and power and prestige and the ability to take their time doesn't see a game like Witcher 3 or Dying Light or these frankly far better open world role-playing games and doesn't pivot and say like we have to learn you know vats for instance is is an excuse because the shooting sucks in the game you can't play it like a shooter it's, i thought fallout 4 had better shooting than 3 though it does but compare it even to other bethesda published games like like um like rage or yeah, yeah. you know or borderlands or anything you know like games that it, they're I just not they're definitely not on par with other shooters right they need mechanics yeah, they need mechanics you know, or you know engine help and it makes me interested with with uh the nature of the Elder Scrolls Six and with with what is it Starfield whatever yeah are those gonna also be janky I don't I don't understand my expectation is that they probably will be I would love nothing more than uh, them to nail the environments and nail the feel like they typically do but also really drastically improve on just how the game works and how it functions and how you move around and hope I, I don't know I hope I hope that the next Elder Scrolls isn't a janky mess but probably will be and i don't know i'm probably still gonna be really excited <laughs> i will be too i can't i can't resist and you're right about skyrim i remember i remember when i got it i was marvel i marveled at the night sky like it was just it, it's yeah. really not beautiful anymore but you know seven eight years ago it was incredibly beautiful so there's something there's something alluring about it, it there's something alluring about a game unlike any other that literally doesn't tell you what to do yeah and and there are games that are that look like that but are more narrow in the way they approach everything 
Yeah, yeah. So they, yeah, they those games age so so quickly. It's insane. Yeah, they it's, they really do. By the way, I did make an error on last week's podcast that a lot of people have told me about, but I cannot understand. I, I don't remember the sequence in which the error was. So basically, I said I said one of two things last week. Okay. I either said that Starfield came first and then the Elder Scrolls Six, or I said the Elder Scrolls Six comes first and then Starfield. Whatever I said in episode one, the opposite is true. <laughs> so that really doesn't clarify anything at all. I should have probably wrote that down. Eh, it'll be fine. All right, let's get into the news. There are a few things to go over this week. I actually expected a lighter week, and then it was kind of front-loaded. There was a few things that happened in the last few days. This first one, Chris, I'm super interested to hear what you think about. This is so clever, but opens up a whole new can of worms with Uncharted. Yeah. Number one is, did you know that Nathan Drake never takes bullet damage in Uncharted? It's true. According to Jonathan Cooper, an animator at Naughty Dog, and later confirmed by Amy Hennig, who created the franchise, the red that appears on screen when Drake is being shot at isn't damage but instead represents his luck running out. By the time the screen is red and shaky, Drake actually does start getting hit and then dies. So the, the, the entire idea is that no one's actually hitting him. That like when he finally falls, it's after he actually is hit. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I think that's a really cool idea, but I'm also not entirely... It, I'm not entirely convinced that that's the... Like, I'm sure you... Do you think if you went back to Uncharted and like stood in front of an enemy that... Your screen would get red and all the bullets would miss. I guess I, guess I haven't really paid any attention to it. I, I, I have I to go know. back and play. I'd have to go back and see that because that seems like a really cool idea, but it also like that's a bit too cool. It's it's a bit too neat. It, it is a little yeah. Maybe it's like a little bit of a retcon. Yeah, because the hudless kind of thing is cool. I yeah. like that. I, I and I like that. What you know, Dead Space was a game that really had HUD, like a hudless damage thing, but you can see it on the spine, for instance. Like yeah, how that was really was. cool. Like little oh, cool Dead things Space like that. Was so good. Oh, I love that game. What a <sighs> what a game. R.I.P. Visceral. But yeah. I thought that that was an interesting little news item to open with because it it puts an almost G.I. Joe-like spin on, you know, like they, where the, the enemies can't hit the broad side of the barn. But it, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it makes it more realistic in one way and then more unrealistic in the other way. It's, there's no way to kind of rectify <laughs> the two. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a cool idea. I'm really curious as if that's actually, like, true. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, Amy Hennig would be an authority on that. But, that's true. But who knows? Number two. Red Dead Redemption 2's sales numbers are projected to be incredibly impressive, so long as you temper your expectations and don't make any obvious comparisons, in this case to Grand Theft Auto V. Initial estimates of the game's sales range in the 12 to 15 million sold range. It's unclear to me, by the way, if this is like year one or something like that, which it probably is because it's going to sell more than that over time, which is many times lower than the nearly 100 million units of Grand Theft Auto V that have been sold since 2013. In a conversation with Games Industry International, publisher Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick said, quote, I don't think this is a numbers exercise around attach rates. I think this is a question of how phenomenal is the product and does it capture people's attention and imagination? The answer is clearly it's going to do well, but it's very difficult to say how well. It's going to be a big success, but it's a question of how big. End quote. Red Dead Redemption 2 finally launches on October 26th. Are you looking forward to it? I am. I actually I actually never played uh, the original Red Dead. Interesting. I totally, totally missed it. And I think by the time I was getting to the point where I was like, oh, maybe I should play that game. It was just like, oh, maybe this is too old. I don't know if this is aged as well. I don't know. It, it's probably amazing. I hear nothing but good things about it, but it's, I don't know. I just never got around to it. It was good. Maybe I, mean, I should. It was good. It was, yeah. it was good. I, I, like, I, I played it when it came out, and, and I liked it a lot. It's very unique. I didn't play the original Red Dead, which is Red Dead Revolver. Yeah. But And I was surprised that they named this Red Dead Redemption 2. I kept predicting that they were going to call it something like Red Dead Revolution. Or Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I thought, yeah. too. Um, so... 
It's a, it's a good it's we were talking about it last week too I think with Mass Effect like why didn't they release the Mass Effect trilogy before Andromeda and and we kind of came to the conclusion that perhaps it would make Andromeda look bad. Yeah. This I see it the other way. I'm surprised that Rockstar hasn't taken the opportunity to port the game over the way they did with Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. And that's... give people a way to play it. And maybe that's still coming down the pipe. Maybe they'll do that as a like it's ready to go right now thing in August to kind of build hype that for the game. That could be pretty cool. I would really appreciate that because like right now the only copies that I can play are 360 versions and I don't have a 360 anymore or like a PS3. Like those are all all my old stuff is back in New York. So where it should be. Yeah. Where it should be. It's weird because I turned on my PS3, it's actually right over there for the first time in probably since I played like Tales of Exilia 2, so probably like 2014ish. Man, Oh, I hate that fucking console. Like, I can't... I can't really? D- nothing Nothing spoiled us more than the PS4. I think people forget, f- like, how bad the PS3's interface was and how slow it was and how cumbersome everything was. I remember I didn't <sighs> like it because... I remember I didn't like the interface because it was a direct copy of the PSP. And I thought that that was weird because I don't think I've ever seen, like, a handheld... Uh, you know, uh, user interface. Yeah, the cross media it onto like a, a proper six hundred dollar console. Yeah, like, absolutely. It was so, so weird to me. I was like, why didn't you make like a cool? It was very weird. I, I, I think they were trying to have this unified thing. I think probably like Trinitron TVs or something like smart TVs back in the day had like a similar look too. Oh, weird. So I think they were trying to unify everything, but I, I obviously it obviously didn't work out that well. But when I turned on that PS3, it was an hours. It was several hours for me to actually get the game that I wanted on PSN. Oh I had God. to like update the console. I had to restart like five times. Then you have to wait for PS. I'm just telling you all out there. <laughs> PS4 has made us. It's our memories are short because yeah. I used to make a lot of excuses for that machine. I thought about getting getting one recently because it's the only place that I can play a high res version of Crash Team Racing. Oh, look at you! Well, you can take mine. You can borrow mine if you want. Have fun with that. Number three. Believe it or not, Dead Island Two is still in development, according to publisher Deep Silver. Who announced I, t- I the- totally forgot about this, by the way. They announced it back in 2014, Chris. As you may recall, the game was originally supposed to launch in 2015. Then it was delayed until 2016. In 2017, Deep Silver said the game was still in development, and they're saying that again. The problem with the game probably stems from the fact that three different studios have now worked on it. Techland, which is an amazing studio, the original developer of Dead Island, was on the project, but then wisely did Dying Light instead. And they're working on Dying Light 2 now, which I cannot wait for. Yeah. I love Dying Light. What a game. One of the one of the great games of the generation. Yeah, it's insane because Dead Island One was like really, really kind of j- janky and yeah, broken. It, it's insane. Yeah, such an insane uh, follow up. I didn't know they had it in them. Those Eastern European devs, man, are quietly making some good games. And then it said from there, German developer Jaeger, the team behind Spec Ops: The Line, my beloved Spec Ops, and Dreadnought, was put on the project. Then in 2016, British studio Sumo Digital, the team behind Little Big Planet Three and a metric shit ton of other stuff. And Crackdown 3, by the way. So this probably explains why both games are not coming out. Yeah. Took the project over. So you have to assume the game was fully rebooted three separate times. Will it ever come out? Who knows? But Deep Silver promises, at least on Twitter, that it's still coming. That's crazy. Was that the E3 trailer with the dude running Yeah, like the it, I think it takes place in Venice, on yeah. Venice Beach. And yeah, he's like, it was a great trailer. I think yeah, it was, yeah. I think people like call it like the trailer of the, of. It's, uh, you can never trust that shit, man. It's the same with No Man's Sky and all this other stuff. Dead Island 1 had a really good trailer too. It did. It did. And that's a great way to gain attention, but this has bad news written all over it, especially because it's going to be compared to Dying Light 2. Yeah. Which I, 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 I do. Dying Light is one of my favorite games of the last five years, like hands down. I just, I loved it. And it's, I was as surprised as you that they had it in them. Yeah, no, it's insane. The quality in it is <laughs> so leagues above what they did before. It's nuts. It's 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 actually shocking. 
because it's not even like a, a facsimile of Dead Island. It's not like they were like, we're going to go to a different publisher and make the same game. It's a much more robust game. The parkour is amazing. The, the frame rates are smooth. The resolution's great. Good voice acting. Yeah. I was really in love with that game. I recently went back and, and 100%ed it, actually. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about this, the next one. Me too, me too. Number four. Long in development, Darksiders 3 finally has a release date. The game will launch on November 27th from Born Again publisher THQ Nordic. And by the way, I don't mean Born Again like they're Christian. I mean they were Born Again as in they used to be Nordic and then they bought THQ's license. The game has some crazy collector's editions too, including one that costs $150 and another that costs $400. What? As you may recall, Darksiders and Darksiders 2 were originally developed by Vigil, the THQ-owned studio that went belly up when THQ bit the dust. in, And that was in 2012, I guess. And then in 2012, during the IP fire sale that resulted... Nordic Games, which is now THQ Nordic, picked the title up. Though the team working on the games is now called Gunfire Games, the roster of talent there is primarily made up of ex-Vigil devs. So reasons to be optimistic about it. Are you excited about this game at all? I don't care. I don't personally. really know. Like I, I think I played a little bit of uh, Darksiders, and I, I remember liking it, but I remember just kind of liking it, putting it down, and then kind of forgetting about it. I'm, I'm interested to see it. I remember people selling it at the time, Chris, as being like an uh, as kind of like an open worldish 3D-ish Zelda. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember people selling it like that. Like you would. I'm not sure if I remember it that way. Yeah, I, I don't. I played it for. I mean, you guys can look at my trophies. I don't know, maybe a couple hours back when it came out. Yeah. But I remember people saying it's almost like you got to, almost like I don't think it literally has, but like you got to get the hook shot, then you can cross this part of the game, and then you got to get right. the bombs, then you can cross. It's almost like a Metroidvania type thing. I don't know if that's necessarily accurate, but I've never really been interested in going back to it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things where it's like I, I just missed it, really. That I, we, I, you know, I got to go back and do a video about that fire sale. I don't think people remember how crazy that was when THQ went up, went belly up and then had all of these games that were like half done. You know, p- people forget that Homefront was one of Homefront Two was one of those games that went to Deep Silver. Oh, really? The biggest one of all was South Park RPG, which went to UB. Huh. You know, that was that was by an obsi- that was Obsidian and that was halfway done and they picked it up. So there's all this weird. There's all this weird thread from that fire sale till still about how people ended up with all these IP. Yeah, I remember when uh, I remember when that happened. I didn't really look into it all that much. I just remember hearing, "Oh, THQ's gone." And I just got sad and, <laughs> and just didn't pay attention to the news for a little bit. That's fine because the middle they, with them eroding away, the middle ground too eroded away, and the middle we, market. Yeah, like we yeah. Don't, they were the last representatives of the A tier. You know, they still sold their games for sixty bucks mostly, but it wasn't. You were getting six point five, seven, seven point five. You weren't getting. You know the AAA quality. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. So, I, I I was always fascinated that Nordic Games, which apparently is flush with money, by the way, if you read about them, because they they acquired they have like fourteen games in development or something like that right now. But uh, I I was so fascinated by the fact that they picked up the THQ license, like the name. Why would you want to name yourself after a, a publisher that killed itself with bad decision making? <laughs> it's very weird. Number five. It appears EA owned Canadian studio Motive is working on not one game, but two. The studio founded in 2015 hasn't released a game of its own yet, though it did help out on Star Wars Battlefront 2. Good job, guys. And has since picked up the the Star Wars <laughs> game that now defunct studio Visceral was working on. Was that 1313? Uh, uh, is that a different one? No, so 1313... There's a lot of dead Star Wars games. Right, yes. So 1313 was a victim... Uh, I know some people that worked on that game, actually. That was a that was a game that was not canceled for quality reasons, but was victimized by Star Wars, the Disney acquisition of Star Wars, where they wanted to kill everything. Oh, Like, shit. to, like, start right. fresh. So then they contracted Electronic Arts after that, and, you know, Respawn is working on one. At the time, Visceral was working on one. Motive, and then, I guess, DICE was making Battlefront. 
and then Visceral was closed down. Then that there actually Jason Schreier for everyone out there, and you might be curious about this, Chris. Jason Schreier at, at Kotaku, one of the only functioning games journalists in the industry, is uh, or did write a great piece about what happened there at Visceral, and that Motive, the studio we're talking about now in this article came in and started working on the game with them when they were still alive and then basically started kind of weaning them off of it and taking it away from them. So hmm. that's basically one of the games they're working on now. So basically what the story says is, in a chat with Game Informer, Motive's lead, Jade Raymond, who people might remember as kind of the first producer of Assassin's Creed, noted that, quote, we have a big IP and then we have a second project. And the thing that I'm really excited about is that that project was totally born from three passionate people who just worked on a pitch in their spare time. They were super passionate, saying, let us pr prototype it, let us do it, and we managed to give them some space to get it done because it was exciting. People saw what was going on, and more people wanted to join their team. Now it's a fully-fledged project, so we were able to get that going within Motive, which I think is one of the benefits of having a smaller studio, end quote. Now, I'm confused about her, her term on smaller studio. Motive is a huge studio, so I don't really know what she's talking about with that from a from a population standpoint. Maybe in like a triple-A sense, it's a, it's a small Perhaps. studio, you know? Perhaps. And uh, word also emerged this week that Motive's Star Wars game, the one we were just talking about, is going to be using a ton of assets from Visceral's canceled project. So those are, that's the tether there. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There's apparently three terabytes worth of art from the game to choose from. So, so they're basically just going to poach it, which I think is wise, make the game come out quicker. Although the Visceral game, I think, was, was linear, like Uncharted, and then the Motive game, yeah. I think, is open world. So I don't know how exactly that's going to scale. I mean... <laughs> We'll see, I guess. Do you even care? Do you even I, care about any of these Star Wars games? I, I really don't. I don't. I was really looking forward to 1313 when that was announced. But, like, since, I don't know, I guess since then, I, I haven't, I haven't really cared all that much about any of the Star Wars properties. I care, I cared a little bit about Battlefront 1 when it came out, just because mm. I was like, maybe this will be good. And it, yeah. It was fine. It was decent. The, it, was, it existed. Battlefront 2 was a bigger disappointment to me because... That was the one I really went into. I got a code right before it came out. I didn't get it very early, but I was excited. You know, so there wasn't a lot of... I think it, I say that because I think if I waited a week, I just never would have even bothered. But I went in and I wanted to play the campaign because I was like, I want to play a Star Wars, like a robust Star Wars campaign. What a piece of shit. Yeah, it's really... It's, it's a shame too because you'd assume that once you come off of a project like the first Battlefront that you would come away with it having learned something. You know what I mean? You would think that. You'd, uh, you would know. think that. I mean, I well, that's the whole point, I think, is that, for me anyway, my, my lack of excitement for Star Wars games is that Electronic Arts has a monopoly on the license, and just like they did with Madden, just like they did with other shit, which yeah. is fine if that's the business decision you want to make. But then if you're opening Volley or the Battlefront games, then I'm not really... And, and then you shut down the one studio that was making a game. Speaking of Dead Space, they made Dead Space. You're, sh you're shutting down that studio, which was the one game that people were excited about because Amy Hennig of Uncharted fame was making it. So it's just it's just it's just weird, and then you give it to so then so then we know respawns working on a game alongside probably a new Titanfall, and then you're so excited about that that last minute at the EA press conference at E3 as we talked about last week, you then just shoot to, to like Vince Zampella in the fucking crowd to talk about the game. Like it's just so unorganized. I wonder if Disney's like, what have we done? Like why did we why did we go with this publisher? Yeah. Imagine how different it would be if they went with Yubi or Bethesda. Or literally any square, <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably literally any other student. I mean, the only my only the only thing I think about when I hear about EA is, oh, they shut they shut down Pandemic, and I I'm st I still you're have st a sore spot. I'm still sore about that. You're still salty about that. I'm still salty about it, dude. They shut down everyone like Maxis and they oh, just, yeah. they just <laughs> they shut down they shut down a bunch of people. It's insane. <laughs> That's all I think of. Good investments they're making over there. Number six, 
If you're holding out hope for a Rocket League 2, well, don't. In a conversation with GameSpot, Rocket League's director, Scott Rudy, said that it's, quote, preferable to do games as a service. The most valuable thing in our game is our fans. A lot of the stuff we do is focused on keeping them with us, keeping them interested and all hyped up about our game. We want to provide a really good experience for players to have fun with for years to come. We want to keep this going. I don't know what I'd do with Rocket League 2. I'd rather do more than I'd rather do more to expand the existing Rocket League. It's doing great. There's a lot ahead of it. So yeah, we have no plans for Rocket League 2, end quote. While this has been reiterated in the past by developer Psyonix, this is the newest affirmation and comes much farther out from the game's launch when numbers may be softer, but they aren't soft. 45 million players have played at least one match of Rocket League and more than six to seven, or more than six million people, up to seven million, play the game each and every month. The game came out three years ago. That's yeah, insane. It's a good game. It's awesome. Yeah. What a game, dude. I can't even imagine really like put, putting a sequel out to that because it, it is so like, I feel like you could just add on to it. You it doesn't could. really make a lot of sense to it. You could. You could. I, I think, you know, the thing that was lost about Rocket League is that Rocket League is a sequel itself. Oh, well, yeah, to that. But Didn't the uh, previous one have like an insane name? Yeah, Supersonic Acrobatic Rocket Powered Cars or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's literally what it was called. But I remember seeing it at PSX in 2014, the first PSX, and the studio will tell you themselves. Like I was, it was in the corner. Like no, I'm like, this game is fucking awesome. Like why, why is this game in the corner? And you got, and Sony is like elevating shit that no one plays like, like, you know, over there, like free to play shooters and stuff. And I was so pleased for their success, but I must say that I do have a bias. Uh, Jeremy Dunham, who founded podcast beyond the first PlayStation podcast I did is the VP of psionics and uh, a good friend of mine. So, you know, take what I say about rocket league with a grain of salt. If you want, I mean, it's a great game. You should play it. Agreed. And Chris isn't biased. Number seven. The rumors of a God of War Netflix series with Jason Momoa playing Kratos are untrue, according to Corey Barlog, who is the director of the recent God of War on PS4. He noted on Twitter that the show isn't happening, but followed up wondering with wondering if they should try to rectify that and make Netflix do a show. So perhaps there's something in the works. I don't think so, but would you want to see something like this? That. I don't want that. I don't want <laughs> I don't want video game shows. Let's please. Yeah, we, you were, you were I, shaking I, your head halfway through the news we've, article. We've we've been through this. We've been through this countless times. I can't think of one show that's come out related to a video game that's been even slightly good, or even a film, or or and just just we're fine. The game was already an amazing story as it was, so just we, we, it's fine. Leave it alone. Just leave it. Just leave it alone. I agree with you. I don't understand this obsession with. It, it, it's, it's, it's a very 90s or early 2000s mentality of saying, like, we're not legitimate until we're on the silver screen or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why that is. We, we are a unique medium ourselves. Like, with the Last of Us movie, even though I know Neil Druckmann at least wrote the treatment and maybe the first script for it, and who knows if it's going to happen, so it'll be at least faithful in some way, that game, you, it, it requires the 15 or 20 hours to, to, to tell it, to tell a story. And, and I, I don't understand why you'd want to minimize that. Yeah, I really don't. I, I, maybe it's so my assumption is that people have a lot of people in their lives who don't necessarily play video games or aren't into it. And they want to have some way to share this world or this, uh, you know, franchise that they're really, really faithful to with the people who aren't necessarily that into it. Like, because I, I know I would love for the majority of people to experience Bioshock in some way. You know, like, so I always thought, like, oh, man, a film in, 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 with that kind of idea would be pretty neat. But it's not necessary. And especially with Bioshock and Last of Us, a lot of, a lot of what makes that, those games particularly strong, I think, is the fact that they are interactive. And the fact that, especially Bioshock, like, Bioshock hinges on your 
personal interaction with it, you know? Absolutely. So I, I don't know. It's always seemed to me a, a bit of a weird thing, but I think that's probably where it comes from. I think you're right. I think it's just a distraction. It's a lucrative distraction, but I, video game movies have such a, such a poor reputation Yeah. that I, I but then on the other side, you, you have like what, eight Resident Evil movies or something that people still go see. So I, I don't, you know, who the hell knows, but I just, I don't understand this obsession with let's take our medium seriously and let's, let's, let's enjoy our medium and exactly. let them tell their stories in film and we can enjoy those too. And you're never going to make a video game movie uh, better than Tomb Raider anyway. <laughs> That's that's a great because <laughs> Tomb Raider was ridiculously amazing. <laughs> well said, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Number eight, Shenmue one and two remasters now have a release date. The collection will launch on August twenty first and will cost thirty dollars. Shenmue, which first came to the West in two thousand, and its sequel, which launched in two thousand two, are cult classics, and the remasters are being launched in anticipation of Shenmue three, which was crowdfunded in twenty fifteen and is set for launch in twenty nineteen. Chris, do you care? Not really. Like I remember the I remember that that Kickstarter was announced that well, that was at E3 on the stage, right? That they yes. announced the Kickstarter. Yeah, which that was, was the weirdest thing. That was one of the weirdest things that I I remember from that year. It was audacious. Was it's like you what? Why don't you why why aren't you just funding this? If all you need is two million dollars, <laughs> Sony wipes its even Sony yeah. in struggling times is wiping its ass with two million. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like this is not a, a high goal. <laughs> just give it to them. <laughs> that would come across as way less weird. Than you putting out a, a, a Kickstarter. Yeah, that was audacious. That's why that's the, like the first and last time they ever did that. Because even that is weird. I don't like kickstarting games, even games that I'm really excited about, because I think it's the 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 raft of disappointment at this yeah. point is so deep with games not coming out or games, you know, being disappointing like Mighty Number no. Nine or what the what what is that space game that has oh pre- Star Citizen? Yeah, that's like 120 million dollars or something, and yeah. still has no. No, it's what insane. Are thinking? It, it, I don't know. It, it, it's especially in a space where even like AAA studios, whose entire, you know, uh, survive whose whose survival like depends on pushing games out, is like even if like, if they're having a hard time actually putting games out, kickstarting is is probably not the way. There's one game on Kickstarter that I was like really looking forward to that I think I backed. I can't even remember. It was, it was so long ago, and I still haven't seen it. It's, it was like pray. Pray for the gods. Pray for the it was gods. that uh, it was that Shadow of the Colossus oh. spiritual successor thing, and it looked great because of course it does. And then, and but then uh, just, I haven't heard anything about it since. And now some dude's sipping out of a coconut glass in Hawaii somewhere with your money. I, I love, just I just love Shadow of the Colossus. I just want something else like it. Did you play the PS4 remaster? I did. Did you like it? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Did they I mean, clean up the controls? I always found the controls a little antiquated. <sighs> I never had that problem with the controls, so I don't. I, I didn't notice. They felt mostly the same to me, mm. and I enjoyed it. I, I, a lot of people felt that way about like Bioshock Infinite. Also, people were like, "Bioshock Infinite controls really bad," and I was like, "I, I, I like it." Is it because of the? I'm trying to think because I just played Infinite earlier this year for the last time. Is it because you click to aim in Infinite? That always bothered me. That's like re- the original Resistance did that too, where you don't use L2 to to aim. Yeah. Or Halo L1. does that too, or I, did? It, it did. Yeah, yeah, everyone did that back in the day, but it's I can't play like that. I kind of like it. Do you? They, yeah, yeah. Because then you stay there. Like, you can't snap the... the. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of aim down sights in, in the way that it's been implemented in a lot of shooters. I, I, I don't know. I think it's because I'm used to that, that kind of arcade hmm. shooter type where I was like, in Resistance, it works for me. And uh, in Bioshock, it worked for me. It was, I guess that's why I have, a lot of people... I have very rigid expectations of my controls. Like, I'll be the first to admit it. Like, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't play Just Cause Three because of the weird aiming thing, like with the sticks, and like I can't even explain what that like what was doing. I'm like I can't. I didn't pl- play three. I'm like I can't play this. Like I, I just I I got it. I was excited. It looked cool. 
you know, fucking around this this island, and I just couldn't do it. I, yeah. I just I'm very rigid. It's, like, that's a fair point of rigid of uh, rigidity yeah. to have. I think with controls. Sure. I almost stopped w- with prey <laughs> until I like I had to force myself to learn it. You know what I mean? Well, it's almost like couldn't you make the argument that when something works, you should just do it over and over again. It's it's the same thing in movies. Like once something in a movie works, you just see it a lot because it works. Like whether it's an angle or whether it's kind of a, a way an arc is is explored and stuff like that. Yeah. And so when you have games like doing shooting mechanics really well. Yeah. Both in third and first person, why would you, why would you retrain people to do it a different way? It's it's just weird. It's like it's it's the same thing. Like X is is you know always going to be jump, and if you put X on yeah. sh- or triangle to jump, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like weird shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Number nine, Chasm finally has a release date. I can't fucking wait for this game. The slick and stylish side-scrolling RPG, which has been in development for nearly six years, will come to both PS4 and Vita on July 31st, and will cost at 19.99. The big hook here is that the maps are procedurally generated, giving the game tons of replay value. Either way, it looks awesome. I reached out. I'm good friends with uh, Dan Edelman, who's the PR guy for this. He did the PR for Axiom Verge as well and the marketing for that game as well. And I reached out to him because he knows I'm excited about this. We are going to get our codes very soon. Oh, cool. So we'll have that to look forward to. We'll probably be playing on Steam, unfortunately, because the PlayStation codes are going to be coming a little hot. Yeah, well. But I will make an exception and play a nerdy PC game. For this, if you guys aren't familiar out there with Chasm, definitely go. I think a PlayStation blog post went up today, which at the time we're recording this, and you can go see the trailer. The game looks like really good. I gotta check it out. Just Metroidvania, but with like weird. So it's cool. The maps are procedurally generated, but not like heavily. So they showed an example of like two parts of a map that are like slightly different from each other. And they have this really cool thing where each of the map types are what they're calling seeded, they have seed numbers. And you can put the seed numbers into this thing and build the map to your exact specifications. Oh, so, my God. So they're saying, like, if there's a playthrough online that you want to play with or, like, a Twitch streamer is playing and you want to play it as he's playing it, you can get those numbers and put them into your game and then the map will proceed the exact same way. <laughs> that reminds me of, like, how Worms used to do it. I never played a Worms game. What? No. Oh, they're so fun. The 2D ones, anyway. They did, like, a 3D one that was, like, horrendous. They, I, I feel like they released a new one on PSN, like, during the PS3 era, like, every five days. <laughs> I, I, I I never understood like what it was really about. Worms is fun. You should play Worms. Yeah, all right. It's a fun uh, it's a fun little uh, distraction. I will make note. Number ten. Now we're gonna get into the nerdy Japanese shit for a little while for all you nerds out there. At Anime Expo 2018, niche publisher Spike Chunsoft announced four new games, all of which are coming to PlayStation Four. There's AI, the Simo- the Simonium Files, a detective adventure game. You know, a remake of the 1998 Saturn visual novel by the same name. I know you've been looking forward to that one, Chris. Oh, yeah, 100%. 428 Shibuya Scramble, yet another adventure-slash-digital novel game. And finally, Steins Gate Elite, which will come to PS4 in 2019 and will include Steins Gate Linear Bounded Phenogram at, at no cost to you. Those are just a bunch of words to me, but I know they mean something well, to Well, I, I know what Steins Gate is. So that's uh, one, one point for me. Stein, it's actually, I wrote it here wrong on our thing. It's actually Steins semicolon gate. Yeah. You fucked up. Why can't they just put normal names <laughs> on games? I, I'm so tired of it. It's gotta, almost exclusively get, a Japanese thing. You got to get creative with it. Like Octopath Traveler. That you really one. have to name it That's that. That's a weird name, but that game looks beautiful. Oh my God, it looks phenomenal. That game's striking. I'm a little, I got to be honest with you, I'm a, like, people are, are asking me, like, are you going to play it? And I'm like, I want to, but just bring it to PS4. Like, are you really going to What is sh- it on right now? Is Switch? It just, it's just on Switch? Yeah. I thought it was coming to, like, everything. It might be. I don't think they've, it, it, I didn't see anything about that, but you could be right. Oh, I don't know. I'm sure we'll be, I'm sure some, someone will let us know on Twitter, and by someone I mean 100 people. Yeah. We'll let you know on Twitter. 
And number 11, just some extra announcements before we wrap up the news. Death End Request is coming to PS4s in the West in 2019. It's an RPG where a couple of game programmers get sucked into an MMO they've been working on and straddles the real and fake worlds as you move through the game. So it sounds a little bit like, what, what was that? Um, Jumanji 2? Jumanji 2, yes. That, that That's a great <laughs> example of that, yes. But wasn't there a... What the hell is that role-playing game series that is exactly like that? I can't think of it. It'll come to my mind. Yeah, I have no idea. It's not ringing any bells. Far Cry 5 now is a photo mode, so you can do down. So you can download the free update right the second if you're interested in that. Did mm. you Did you like Far Cry 5? I played a little bit of it. I don't know. Far Cry to me has always been a game that's had a bit of a problem with trying to be very, very realistic, but it also kind of there's like a bit of jank that comes with that focus to realism and it's not even a realistic game to begin with so it's like the the thing that i always come back to is getting out of a getting out of a car when you're looking because far cry has this thing where it's really cool and you can like drive while looking completely around you in your vehicle and that's neat except if you're looking behind you and you get out of your car you, you're forced into this animation that makes you look forward again and it's like little things like that it's mm. like hey this animation takes precedent over the flow of the controls and like how well the game plays that just kind of like turned me out. It's a really beautiful game and I want, I want so desperately to get into it, but the, I feel like I'm fighting with the controls all the time. That's fair. I think, well, I platinum did a couple months ago and it was a grind. Like, I, I don't know why I forced myself to do that. I really like far, like far cry three. I think is the, the I loved far cry three the pivotal game for me. Yeah. yeah. And then they just re-released it too on PS4. So you guys can play it if you want. I think it's part of the season pass, but I think you can buy it on. So yeah, it was like classic edition or something. Yeah. I think that's what they called it. That's a weird name. And I just, I, to me, this game, the setting's great. Story's great. Characters are great, but there was something off about it. I, I can't quite put my hand on it where, where I'm like, I, I think it's a little bit of the controls. I think it's a little bit of the breadth of the game and the depth of the game. And I think it kind of loses sight of what made far cry. Like, there's almost a camp to Far Cry that I think this game doesn't have. Yeah. Which is a little weird. And, you know, I, I think it suffers for that. I'll be interested. I think the game did really well, but I'll be interested to see how they respond to that. And I, I'm most interested if we get a, an interstitial Far Cry game like we did with Primal again. Oh, that was a weird one. It was. It was a weird one. <laughs> Where you're like literally a caveman. <laughs> so that's cool. That's fun. What else do we have here? Oh, okay. And uh, RPG Maker MV is coming to PS4 in 2019. I RPG Maker used to be so cool. Yeah. I think it's going to be even cooler now because it's so much easier to share games. You used to have to use like your Gex drive, right? That's what they called it on PS1 or PS2 and then go on GameFAQs and like share files that way. Now you can just share them over the internet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So that'd be pretty neat. And uh, finally, visual novel Deathmark, which came to Japan last year, is coming westward either this year or next on both PS4 and Vita. So Vita is getting some love still as well. And that's all for the news this week. That's a lot. That is a lot of news, but none of it's really that important. Yeah. I could just wasted everyone's time for 45 minutes. <laughs> you didn't need to really know any of that, did you? You didn't need to. Did you really need to know about Steinsgate linear bounded phenogram or 428 Shibuya scramble? I'm sure some of you did. That name is amazing. Linear bounded phenogram. Yeah, I don't know what that. I actually looked it up. I like went to the wiki because I'm like, is that like a, I don't know what a phenogram is. And I was like, is that like a, <laughs> is that like a pack in like some sort of playing card or something genuinely I'm, genuinely I'm at a loss for every single word yeah it's it's nothing gets weirder than some of the square enix names for like kingdom hearts and stuff like that whereas i like oh, to say, what is it like 3.58 days over over 10 dogs yeah, it's, or yeah, some it's, weird it's like a nightmarish cacophony of noise you gotta name your games better guys and gals out there 
Now, we would typically talk about new game releases, but again, Ryan Clements is still on break, so we have no drop over at the PlayStation blog. You guys can continue to play Red Faction Armageddon Remastered, which I know you're all enjoying very much. I can't, I can't. <laughs> I really that name actually bothers me. It's grown on me. It's oh, so you're in the going in, you're trending in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. I started I started to really love it. Good for I don't you. know what it is. I think I might have uh, woken up in a cold sweat and it just kind of left a positive impression on me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You were thinking about you were reading about terraforming of Mars or something before you went to bed? Yeah, maybe. No, that's what yeah. I do because I'm a fucking nerd. I'm a stone and I read about like the weirdest things at night. Like I'm a Erin sometimes makes fun of me because I show her when I go into bed at night and I'm like kind of a little awake. I maybe just smoked and I'm like, like I'm ready to go to bed. I go on Wikipedia and I just start opening things and then and <laughs> you then just, there and you then, just let yourself go down the rabbit hole, dude. I bet you I have some windows open right now. Let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll open my phone and we'll see what's there. I do I do. All right, so <laughs> commercial crew development, space launch system, human mission to Mars, list of manned Mars mission plans, colonization of Mars terraforming of mars <laughs> and chinese astronomy are the Chi- windows i have opened that's right a now. fascinating uh <laughs> path yes. that you've chosen <laughs> man oh man the the webs we weave all right we're gonna we're gonna go into reader mail now i, I think we ought to i think yeah. we ought to I'm, i don't know why i'm calling it reader mail none of you are reading this unless someone unless one of you are putting reading transcripts that someone on like reddit is writing or something like that which would be unnecessary but Basically, the way this works, Chris, is that if you're a Patreon supporter of Collins Last Stand at the $2 level or higher each month, a thread will go live and did go live last Wednesday and every Wednesday from here on out as long as we do the show. We're going to do the show forever, guys. We're never going to not do the show ever again. And the, 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 you kind of get the opportunity at that time to submit a question or a comment or a concern or a thought. And more than 100 people, as I said, did that. I went through everyone's questions and I picked out what I thought were like the 15 most appropriate. I don't know if we're going to get to all of them. I thank all of you for submitting your questions. Keep submitting them. Submit as many as you want. It gives me a lot to read and a lot to think about. And of course, again, if you support us at the $5 and up level, you get early access to the show as well, as I said. So there's that too. But that's the way you can interact with the show. And the first question we got from our listeners here that I wanted to talk about is a topic I want to spend a little bit of time on because I'm interested to see your take on this. It's very it's very straightforward. Corey Savas says, we're halfway through 2018, and Dreams is still in development. When do you think it will finally drop, and will Media Molecule go the way of Evolution? So what he's saying there is Evolution was another Sony-owned studio that was closed down after they fucked up a game. Uh, in that case, Drive Club. Yeah. Before we get into this, mm-hmm. I want to just recap the legacy of Dreams. I was actually the only one at because uh, I threw a, a party for E3, like, and we we sat and watched the uh, Sony conference, which was interesting. But I was the only one there who remember. Oh, I was like, oh, that's dreams. Like the interstitials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I was like, oh, I recognize that. And everybody made fun of me for recognizing <laughs> it. <laughs> no, like, I just don't know who cares about this game anymore. But, but to put this in the context, let's do a little bit of PlayStation history here. I'm just going to run people through this, Chris. So Media Molecule's first game was Little Big Planet. And they also did Little Big Planet 2. Little Big Planet came out in 2008. Then Sony bought the studio. Then Little Big Planet 2 comes out in 2011. They released Tearaway on Vita in 2013, and Vita or PS4 gets a remastered version of it in 2015. But Tearaway is made by a team of like 15 people at Media Molecule. So there's that. Mm-hmm. So Dreams was first revealed nebulously as being in the R&D phase without a name in 2012. Wow. So that's the year before PS4 was revealed and came out. 
In February of 2013, Dreams was revealed without a name at the PlayStation 4 reveal event in Manhattan. I was there, I remember. It was really weird. It was like guys playing with move controllers. Yeah, yeah, I remember. They, they were like making, doing sculptures, right? Yes, they were sculpting and like making puppets dance and all sorts of weird media molecule shit. All right, so the game is revealed without being named and without even really talking about media molecule in any major way in 2013. In 2014, the trailer comes out for the game and it's named Dreams. In 2015, there's a full reveal of the game. At that time, they say there'll be a beta in 2016. Oof. In 2016, they say there'll be a beta in 2017. In 2017, they say there'll be a beta in 2018. Still no word on the beta as of the time we're recording this. So that that catches us up to what's going on here. What is happening there? Maybe they're trying to make it into a game and not a tech demo. Because like how? Because I remember what they showed. Right? It was it was very very. It's a very sandbox oriented thing where it's just like, hey, you could do this with this. And it, but it, it, I don't know if you could structure that in a game. You know what I mean? It's, I don't it's, th- it's, it's, it's a weird concept. And maybe they're having an issue with the concept or maybe the tech. It's, but I don't, it's possible. I don't, but I don't know what's particularly that demanding about what we saw. I, I don't either. I mean, again, I don't make games. I'm sure. Yeah. The thing I know about. That's Dream- the big caveat here. Right. Of course. <laughs> we're not developers. Right. We're not developers. And I don't have the technical knowledge to ever be one or the artistic knowledge. But, Chris, I think it's fair to say that this game is in a lot of trouble. And I, I don't... You know, Corey asks in his question, will Media Molecule go the way of evolution? And, and the sad answer is that, yes, they are going to go the way of evolution. Unless Dreams is huge. Like, massive. And I just can't imagine they're going to release a game on this console that's named Dreams. That's a, crea- a content creation thing where you can do whatever you want. That's really cool, but... That's not going to... I don't... I can't imagine... Maybe I'm wrong. You guys can remind me, but that's not going to sell. I forgot about it for years. Like, straight up. I just, like, totally forgot it existed. It's very weird. So, it's very know. peculiar, isn't it? Yeah. I don't, what do you think could save it at that point? You think, like, maybe launching it with the next console as maybe. a launch title? Maybe. I think that there's a few things that could probably be may- maybe interesting in it. Is that maybe PSVR functionality would be... And I, I assume maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe. Is would be a nice calling card for it. It would make it way more complicated to use and it would make the barrier barrier of entry much higher. So it wouldn't yeah. help the game sales, but there could be a fu- an optional functionality similar to some other games. Resident Evil 7, for instance, had VR functionality that was totally optional. So it could be that. But I think that above all else, we have to look at Sony's current landscape. We're going to talk a little bit more about, more that, uh, more about that in another question, but... The landscape of games they've developed recently on PS4 released exclusively, Dreams is an outlier. So in one way, that's very appealing because it's not a third-person action adventure game like mm-hmm. everything else. But I think it's just too late, and I don't understand. I can't imagine how much money they've dumped into this game. And Tearaway, by the way, didn't sell well at all. So it's not like they were making back-end money at the time. They really haven't made a lucrative... They haven't had a lucrative endeavor since 2011. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't look good. <laughs> so... I like Media Molecule. I know people that work there, and, I, and I, I'm rooting for them. Sad. It's very sad, especially because Media Molecule was purchased not too long ago. I mean, Sony spent good money on that on that studio. Just same thing with Evolution. Evolution was a was not founded by Sony. They were bought by Sony too. It's just they're they're willing to make the cut when necessary. But yeah. there but there might be something about this game that they see where they don't need they don't feel the need to cancel it. You know, it is very far along. Yeah, we'll After see. All. Let's skip around here. Braden Burge says realistically. What do you think the release dates or windows are for the first-party PlayStation title shown at E3 Showcase this year? Obviously, Spider-Man is imminent, 
But what about Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding, The Last of Us Part Two, and Dreams? We're not going to talk about Dreams again. So we'll talk about Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding, and The Last of Us Two. We know Spider-Man's coming out very soon. Yeah. What do you, Chris, what do you think, either window or year, maybe quarter, when do you think these games will come out? I would guess, man, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know about Death Stranding. Death Stranding, I think, is like probably 2020, I think, with Death Stranding. The other ones are more likely, I think, either fall or summer um, next year, maybe. Ghost of Tsushima, how much has been shown about Ghost of Tsushima uh, aside from the E3 showcase? Nothing. They, they announced it, and then I think there was a game... I think there's, like, a, a longer gameplay demo that they might have done on the okay. PlayStation blog, like, uh, live stream from E3. So we've seen a little bit of it. And there's no there's, there's no uh, date for Last of Us. Is, is no, no, no date for Last of Us yet. I would assume Last of Us is next year, right? I, I think it's pretty safe. We've seen a decent amount of it already. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. And I think probably 2020 for Death Stranding and Tsushima. If oh, I, so if you I think were, so, so 2020 for Tsushima? That's I would... I would uh, that's my that's what my gut's saying. I don't know. You have a far better, probably a far better way of uh, guessing than I do. Well, I have a far bigger gut. Yeah, you. far bigger gut in this realm. There's no well. It's just literally I have a far bigger gut than you. You're so <laughs> you're so tiny, and I'm very jealous of you. Ghosts of, <laughs> you're one of those guys that can eat anything you want. I know you are. Yeah. It's 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 pretty great. It's not fair. It's what it is. I mean, you're a young fair. man still. That's I hope true. you're not cursed. It'll catch up to with me, the I'm spare sure. tire like I am. Look like I'm, I look like I'm about to pop a fucking baby out. All right. Ghost of Tsushima. Well, let's put it this way. We know that Days Gone is early next year. Mm. So The Last of Us Part 2, I think, is going to be May or June next year. I think it'll be around E3, just like The Last of Us was in 2013. Yeah. Ghost of Tsushima is a safe fall game. I think that's going to come out in the fall next year. And I think you're right about Death Stranding. I, I still stand by the fact that I think Death Stranding is a PS5 game. That doesn't mean it's a PS4 game, too, because I think it's becoming clear that it, it is. But I, I don't feel like there's much game there yet. And yeah. they're having to polish so many of these demos and be so clever that it's a waste of time. I mean, you hear development, stu- development studios hate E3. They hate it because they have to stop what they're doing and polish a vertical slice of the game. And that's what happens with every demo that you see. So it seems like they're wasting an inordinate amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think 2020 is a pretty safe bet. I, I would also put my money on 2020 as the, the next gen. Yeah, I think Personally. you're right there. I think it's like a perfect, perfect year for that. And uh, Death Stranding as a launch title would be pretty, be a pretty smart move. I think that would be huge. I, I, I wonder if they do. I wonder if it would matter if they did the Zelda like thing where they put it, you know, on Wii U and they put it on Switch like they did with Zelda. I, really I wonder they if don't. they do that with PS4 and PS5, if that will injure the game sales. But I bet you it doesn't, because they can make it seem like, well, this is the and it would be the more enhanced version of the game, you know. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But I think. I think it's safe to assume. I don't know anything, but I think it's safe to assume the Last of Us Part Two is going to be like Q two next year. Yeah, like this. Like we'll have played it. I think by this time next year. Yeah, no, I think so. And dreams. When will dreams come out, Braden Burge? (laughs) Who the hell cares? I'll make a prediction. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. I'll make it. Whatever. Okay. Why not? We'll check back to this episode to see if I'm right, which I will be. We'll make a note. We'll make note of that. I'm making a mental note right now. Edwin Garcia says. Do you think Sony will ever invest in their own FPS again? FPS, of course, being first-person shooter. Mm. Since it seems they have a game on every other category except their own FPS, they are very good. Ma- they are very good at making third-person adventures, and maybe they think it's a waste of time since it's so saturated with franchises like Call of Duty and Battlefield. But it would be nice to have a Sony-exclusive FPS franchise again. That would be as well received and accepted by the FPS audience. I don't think Killzone and Resistance accomplish that, though. 
Now you're a huge first person shooter fan. You're yeah. you're you have specifically you have Halo Bonafides, which I'm really fascinated by because it gives everyone a little bit of a different perspective outside of yeah, this yeah. ecosystem. I have two questions for you. Sure. He finishes with what I want to ask you first, which is Killzone and Resistance. I'm curious what you think of those franchises, but then I'm wondering, do you think that they will ever circle back to this to this genre again? I think FPS is a very very competitive market to be in. It's it's the main like obviously Call of Duty, uh, Overwatch now, um, Battlefield. They're the big players in that in that genre, and they exist on all platforms. And it's I feel like it's difficult to compete. I'm actually surprised, honestly, genuinely, that Halo is still happening. Because it's it's such a an insanely competitive market, and that it does well still is kind of insane. I think I don't know if it is in Sony's best interest really to invest in another FPS because they already have the biggest selling FPSs in the form of you know Battlefield and Call of Duty as multiplats. It doesn't really there's not a lot of Last of Uses. You know they they have that market entirely of like a huge and God of War like incredibly. Uh, big story-driven single-player experiences. That's that's kind of what they're known for now, to me at least. It's like if, I know that if I if I play a PlayStation, if I'm on PlayStation, I can expect a really really polished and really really well done single-player experience. And I don't know if uh, they could go back to it. I don't foresee it um, because Killzone and Res- I really like. I did actually really like Resistance. Killzone less so, um, but those games didn't shake the industry nearly as much as last of us or uncharted or or any of their other uh first party ips so i'm i'm really not sure what the benefit is you know yeah i think you're absolutely right i think you know i think edwin hit on something really interesting here which is you know he's talking about the saturation of franchises and in that genre and, and you had you had mentioned that too and i think there's something about that there's something true about that where there is a saturation at the highest end with with shooters with call of duties and battlefields and battlefronts and all of that but at the same time I wonder if other genres are not also saturated. And we were talking about the third-person kind of action game, whether it's linear or non-linear. So whether you have The Last of Us or whether you even have Horizon, which is totally open-world and role-playing game-ish, there's a major saturation there, too. And and Sony is actually contributing to that saturation. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I think that's definitely growing. Uh, but Sony still kind of remains where where people look to for quality games in that genre, I think. You know, they're not looking to Microsoft for those experiences, I don't think. They're not looking for... I guess they could be looking for to Nintendo in the form of Mario and Zelda, but those are those are the same genre in, like, a very, 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 very different kind of way. You know, it's it's a lot more, uh, you know, cartoony, and it's it's less... You know, I don't think those compete, you know what I mean? Right, I don't right. think Mario is directly competing with Days Gone. Yeah, no, I... Just I, because they're third-person adventure games. Sure. No, you're, absolute, um, you're absolutely right. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, and, and there's so many... There's so many good shooters coming out that are going to be on the PlayStation anyway. Doom's gonna Doom the next Doom is gonna be on the PlayStation, of course. Right. So why, I don't know. I just uh, I think it's more wise for them to stick to what they're good at or go uh, uh, make a kart racer again. Yeah. Make yeah. Make <laughs> Please. a. Yeah. What was the studio that made that in Canada? Uh, what was it? United uh, Front. It was a little big planet karting, right? There, there was another one. There was like uh, oh oh my god. It was like little big planet, but it wasn't. Was it? Oh, Mod Na- Nation Racers. Mod Nation Racers. Yeah, that was the first one. You're right. Yeah, yeah and that yeah. was also made by United Front Games. I miss kart racers. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just maybe it's just me. But uh, please, <laughs> just please do it. <laughs> please. Crystal no one else it. has that. No one else. It's only it's only Nintendo with their Mario Kart. Mario Kart. I don't like Mario Kart. You don't? No. I, Crash Team Racing on the PlayStation One is the best kart racer of all time. Wow. I will say it right now. That's bold. And all they could do. Remaster it, please. 
Oh. Is all I will say. There's Fair a market enough. for it, I promise you. I'm surprised they didn't kind of try to sneak it into the crash collection. Yeah, I was really sad about that because I was that was my favorite crash game was the car was the car race. They don't care about you at all. I know. I will say that Sony, I'm sure they've already rectified this, but they are in an interesting pickle with Killzone particularly because Shadowfall was a really pretty good launch game for PS4. It was the strongest launch exclusive. Maybe maybe Rezo, actually Resogun was definitely stronger, but out of the first party teams, that was a really nice step forward for, for Killzone. Yeah. And actually, the Killzone game on Vita that was technically done by Guerrilla Cambridge, which no longer exists, was a nice step forward for the franchise as well. And I hope they don't leave it there. Like, I think Killzone has promise that they started to explore, but the bind that they find themselves in is, is Guerrilla in the Netherlands made Horizon. And how can you possibly take them off of that? Yeah, it would be it would be I don't think it would be wise. No, I think it would be cool to split them in, in half and have one of them do a shooter again, but. You're not going to get another Resistance game, I don't think. Insomniac is about to sell Spider-Man, which is going to be their best-selling game, and they're probably immediately going to go and do the sequel. I'm so excited. So the options are limited. And trust me, no one has harassed them more about Resistance than me. I'm a huge Resistance fan, as everyone knows. Or you should know. Now you do know if you didn't. Gus, the man known only as Gus, says the following. This question is for Colin, but we're both going to answer it. With Microsoft apparently ready to shift how the industry works with Game Pass streaming games on mostly all Windows platforms, do you think Sony can compete? Microsoft is clearly trying to shift and expand how the platform holders have generally made their money with games, accessories, subscriptions like PlayStation Plus, Xbox Live Gold, and the hardware itself just being a Trojan horse. Even with their lack of first-party games, I feel like as if Microsoft is uniquely positioned to succeed in the post-console era. I'm not saying that consoles are dead. And I believe they'll be around for generations to come. I disagree. I think we have one more generation. But I feel they'll go the way of vinyl and that for the enthusiasts, they'll always be available, but the rest of the folks would be okay with an alternative like Spotify. What do you make of this? Because I think I think Microsoft is uniquely in a unique position right now where if they can just ride this out, and they're going to ride out this generation, release the next box, be more competitive, that they've created a they've created a situation specifically with putting their games on PC with the investment in cloud gaming, with dual investments in Game Pass and also cloud computing and all those kinds of things, that they're in a great post-console position. What yeah, do you no, think? I, I, I agree, and like wholeheartedly. I think they've made a lot of really, really good consumer decisions, uh, decisions that kind of benefit the, uh, the player base more than necessarily the, <laughs> the publisher. But I think... Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. I think the the fact that they exist on PC, I think they need to clean up the Windows Store a little bit because the Windows Store is a is a nightmarish hellscape. It's it's so so bad, uh, and a lot of people are like, just put just put stuff on Steam, and it's like, well, it's good to have competition. I think even on PC where everybody's like, you know, on Steam exclusively, I think Windows needs to just kind of get a better store out and like fix the functionality of it because right now it is a mess. But I think that could be, that could all very well be rectified. By the time consoles are out, you know, and done with. Yeah, I so I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. If I feel like Microsoft's banking on this happening. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's a it's a it's a risk. So conventional wisdom is is always off. You might remember the think pieces when the console before the new consoles were even announced, PS4 and Xbox One, they would sell like shit. Would there even be consoles? Would they be solid state? Would they be modular? Like yeah. all these kinds of things. And no, they're just more video game consoles. And the next generation is just going to be more video game consoles. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I feel like we are always a little, we're not trepidatious enough when we make bold proclamations like that. But I think that making, a, Microsoft's a big enough company to make multiple risks or multiple bets that actually will negate each other. And that might be the wisest thing to do. And I, I think I spoke last week 
about how they're doing that with Game Pass and they're doing that with cloud computing, you know, yeah. as opposed to Sony who has no Game Pass like uh, alternative. They just have this this kind of cloud gaming thing going on. And yeah. so and they're playing anywhere stuff. It's right. Like, it's insane. Right. It's all like but Microsoft makes these these choices backwards compatibility as well mm. because they're losing. Yeah. And I wonder what would the landscape look like if they weren't losing, if they were winning and we, 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 we have this much innovation in the space. So I think that things are going to shake out a little bit slower. But we mentioned last week on the show that Yves Gilmont, who is the CEO of uh, Ubisoft, thinks wholeheartedly that next generation is the last generation for gaming and or for game consoles. And with the way technology is going, I believe it. But, you think so? Yeah. Like I, but again, I'm so technologically ignorant that yeah, I who know. knows? I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I feel like I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I have no idea. I can't even make like a guess. We don't even know when the next consoles are coming out. So we, yeah. we need to know. I, that's what I'm so excited about, Chris. When we, you know, when we're doing the episode in 2020 or whatever it is about the console being announced, what, what a wild episode that's going to be because we're, we're going to finally know about it. Yeah. Like, what is it? <laughs> you look know? back at how wrong we were. Straw? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I often look back at how wrong I am and, and no one lets me forget, so. Straw Hat Ninja says, great name, by the way. My question for you guys is with the success of God of War, sold over 5 million copies in a month, has Sony proved that games do not have to have any multiplayer or DLC to be successful? It was a complete experience that isn't trying to keep you playing all year like most other big games this year. I respect that and want to see more of that from other games and developers. I think they proved that already, like numerous times, right? Did uh, did uh, the first Uncharted have multiplayer, did it? No, it didn't. No, that was a pretty big success. And uh, Last of Us and uh, this... I don't think it's necessarily a new thing. Right. I think that the major concern from the publishers originally was that people were selling the games back, right? And then they started yeah. putting online functionality. Then they started putting online passes in and all this kind of shit that they got rid of. I, but I think you're right. They proved it a long. They proved it a long time ago. But the difference is kind of synthesizing this with the question we got earlier. They don't have the multiplayer. They don't have a multiplayer option anymore. They used to. You yeah. can play Uncharted Four online. You're going to be able to play, probably play The Last of Us Two online, but. They don't have like SOCOM or MAG or anything yeah. like that or Killzone. You know, I think even the Killzone servers aren't alive anymore. So there isn't an alternative for that small slice of people that want that. I don't necessarily think that's a positive thing. But I do think it's a positive thing that they're giving us games they know we can only play for a little bit of, of time. And they're so confident in those games that they put them out for $60 and they, they are resounding successes. That's a yeah. huge that's a huge positive sign. The, I feel like this notion that like single player games are like dying is a recent thing, but it's it's a recent notion that isn't at all supported by what's happening. You know, like Mario and Zelda sold a ton. You know, these are, I don't know, I just don't understand where this this idea is coming from. Yeah, me neither. It's weird. Yeah, me neither. I, I, don't, I don't either. But. I guess because Fortnite and, and games like that are so huge and they're just multiplayer, it's like, oh, well, to reach this level of success, you have to be multiplayer. It's like, well, I don't, maybe, but you, you can still be incredibly successful without it. It's... I don't know. It's weird. It's it, it is weird, and I I wonder. I don't want to speak out of turn. I want to speak out of my ass on this, but Fortnite's free, right? Yeah. So, what's more lucrative? Sony selling five million copies. They've sold more than that now. God of War at sixty dollars, or Fortnite being played by twenty five million people for free, in which they they spend, and and in which the servers need to be active, and in which they're updating the game constantly and all that kind of stuff. Like I don't know. I think we conflate player base with the monetary realities of making games and Sony might be perfectly smitten letting Epic have that space. Yeah. But I don't think it's wise to not compete on those hills either. Right. Sony should have some sort of 
they, they did, I guess, with Kill Strain and all those, you know, and that, that Jaffe shooter drawn to death. They did try, but I yeah. just think it was a little half-assed, you know? Like, you need to have AAA provenance on these games. Otherwise, I just don't think people are going to care. There's too much competition. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Amigdio Alvarez says, Do you think Sucker Punch will come back one day to the infamous saga? Ghost of Tsushima looks awesome, but I've always loved the infamous games. They obviously have flaws, but damn, every now and then I just love to go back to my second son file and just roam the city for a while. Second son was awesome. Are you an infamous fan? I liked the I liked the first one. Uh, the second one didn't grab me too much, and I didn't I didn't play much of uh, Second Son. I had I played like uh, a little bit of it because uh, a friend of mine had a PS4, and I just kind of played it with him. Uh, I like him. You know, I don't love him. I, I really like the first one a lot, but uh, I just kind of fell off it. But like to the question is like. How many developers have gone back to properties that they have left behind? Do you think? Not many. I can't. I can't think of one. I'm sure there's at least a few. No, sure. But I, I, no, nothing comes to mind at all. No, I, I, I. This reminds me. Listen, Infamous was great, and I, I, but it wasn't great enough because they didn't greenlight another game. Then they moved on. If it was, if it was that important, they would have done another Infamous instead of Ghost of Tsushima. People have to remember Sucker Punch moved on sucker punch didn't start with infamous they started with sly cooper they technically started with an n64 game that no one played but they they sly cooper is what they became famous for in the sony ecosystem and aren't yeah. you glad they moved on from sly cooper to which i thought was great but when sly cooper 4 came out sucker punch didn't make it sanzaru made it so i guess what i'm saying is infamous can live again with another studio that does it right but it's important for them to constantly move on yeah you know f- fucking now i know you'd want this but naughty dog could be still making Crash Bandicoot games. But then we would have never gotten Jack and Daxter, and then we would have never gotten Uncharted, and then we would have never gotten The Last of Us. And I think that's bad news. You know? Yeah, so, you don't want a studio making the same game for that long, I think. It's, it's important to let devs kind of do what they want to do. Because at a certain point, even if you love what you're doing, even if you love like the series that you're a part of, after, after a while, you have, to, you have to reach a point where you're like, I don't know what else we can do with this. Or like you, you just want to do something else. Yeah, you know, it yeah. just makes it's just how things are creatively. It's important to look at it through that lens. I think you know, there's two sides of the coin. One side of the coin is like Gorilla is a great example. Like they were made, they were, they were staffed to make Killzone. People that worked there made shooters. That's what they made. And when they moved over to Horizon, they definitely lost people that didn't want to make that game because they're that's not what they make. Yeah, but. Other people do want to make that game, and then you kind of craft a studio around, you know, that massages that sort of thing. Naughty Dog's not hiring people that make racing games. You know, like, that's yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, that's not what they do. That that talent is for polyphony. That talent isn't for Naughty Dog. And so I think it's okay for studios to evolve and move on, and I think it's necessary, and I think it's good for gamers. As much as we want to kind of, like, beat the dead horse, I love, you know, I'm excited about Mega Man 11. I mean, that's a, that's a horse well-beaten, but... Yeah. You know, I, I I don't see the downside. You know, some people, I get, I cringe when people, I see this all the time. When people are like, I wish Naughty Dog would make a Jack and Daxter game. I'm like, really? You want them to make a Jack and Daxter game after what they've given you in the last 10 years? <laughs> That's what you want? Yeah. Are you I nuts? <laughs> I think they just want like a, a quality <laughs> Jack and Daxter game that's new. It's not, and, and I think it, there is a lot of trust put in the developers of original properties, you know, like, um, if they came out with, I don't know, like uh, if they came out with another Spyro, you know, nobody would care unless it was Insomniac. But Insomniac, 
isn't going to go back to Spyro. That's insane. They're they're making an amazing Spider-Man game. Yeah, and I want that reality. I want a reality where they're making an amazing Spider-Man game. I mean, go ask Ted Price. And the Spyro in the Spyro crea- uh, collection's coming out anyway. So. It is, yeah, and it's like go go tell Ted Price you want to want Insomniac to make a Spyro game, and he'll probably jump out of a window because it's like what what. After all the work they've done, that's what you... Yeah. Scrap cool. Spider-Man. Yes. We, we got to start on Spyro 4. <laughs> please please make Spyro. Let's skip around here a little bit. Michael Iepra. I think it's Iepra. Mm. I-E-P-R-E. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, that's it. Iepra? Iepra? There's a hockey player named Al Iafrady. That's not even close. Well, I'm trying to like... very different name. It is, but it's an I-vowel name that you don't see very often. But yeah, you're right. Those are very different names. I am curious as to what you guys think about the announcement of the Days Gone release date. Being un- unveiled through PlayStation social media leading up to E3, it seemed particularly odd to me. Why not add it to the big four titles they showed off at the showcase and give it a little push? Strikes me as a possible lack of confidence in Ben's biggest game to date. What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. What do you think about this? Well, Days Gone comes out February 22nd. marinate on this a little bit. Yeah, marinate away. Uh, February 22nd is the date, and mm-hmm. I thought it was weird, too. Uh, I, I I think that there's every reason not to believe in this game because, to be perfectly honest, with, like to be perfectly frank with you, Bend isn't Bend. This could be Bend's coming out party for sure, but Bend isn't at the level of Sucker Punch or Naughty Dog or anything like that or Sony Santa Monica. No, they also not. haven't released a game since 2011. So they made like the they made Siphon Filter, right? Yeah, they like made the Siphon, Siphon Filter. Uh, they were yeah back. They weren't called Bend at the time, but they made the Siphon Filter games up through Logan Shadow, I guess, and then. They made Resistance Retribution on PSP, and they made Uncharted Golden Abyss on Vita. And now they're jumping to like a full-on... Full-on like open world. Big. Yeah. I'm using Unreal Engine, which is weird. They're not using a proprietary Sony engine. So a lot of weird stuff's going on over there. And I again, I know people there. I'm not trying to insult you guys at all. I'm excited about the game. I think it's cool, but... It's certainly going to be captured under the weight of like, it's another zombie game. It's another open world game. It's from a studio that doesn't have real, like a lot of respect outside of the Sony ecosystem. And even within it, to be perfectly honest, because they haven't released a game since the Vita launched. That was their last game when the Vita yeah. launched. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm, yeah, what are your thoughts? I think, I think the existence of The Last of Us kind of puts it in a weird place because zombie games are already kind of tired as it is. And Sony's already got one big exclusive. And I mean, I guess The Last of Us isn't technically about zombies, you know what I mean? But it's still, even if it isn't, it still feels very, very similar. And I get that it's like a very different kind of game. It's like open world. You got like the motorcycle and all that. But it, it is, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a fatigue happening around that style. And unless it's something that's established, like The Last of Us, or I don't even know, like... Uh, like Dead Rising didn't even do well, you know what I mean? So it's it's in a really weird, weird place. And the fact that they didn't even make a big deal out of the release date is kind of I don't know. It's it's concerning, to say the least. Yeah, you hear you hear a lot about I mean, I hear a lot about this game and, and I you know, from people that I know and, and it's I think it's gonna be a quality title. But I think I think there's gonna be a lot of skepticism around it. Yeah. Because of those things that you mentioned. It, it does have, like, the double whammy of, like, bullshit, which is, like, zombies and open world. It's just not... It's yeah. not good to, to be in that space when people are going to be doing open world zombie games better, first of all, and probably. Dying Light 2 is a great example. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And also, just open world generally. I just think it's... It, it, it is a weird... It, it's weird that they greenlit a game about zombies when The Last of Us is in their family. Yeah, it's it's it strikes me as a weird kind of choice. And... 
I don't know. I guess we'll I guess we'll just have to see. I, I'm not too keen on the idea that they're calling zombies freakers. Yeah, f- yeah. That kind of I cringe a little bit if I'm being honest. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, they like came up with. Yeah, you have to call, come up with some different name for them. Yeah, it's like just they're zombies. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's totally valid. I know you guys want to be different, but you don't have to be that different. Yeah. Josh Yeager asks a somewhat related question. He says, "Hey, Colin and Chris." This is a little down the line, but so far, Days Gone, Crackdown 3, Anthem, and Metro Exodus all come out on February 22nd, 2019. Oh, my God. With The Division 2 following shortly after on March 15th. What game sales do you think are going to be hurt the most by a crowded release window? Do you think any of these will be unaffected? I'm personally intrigued by Anthem and The Division 2 being so close as I feel they're in the same genre and shared world shooters. What do you think of that? I think I think Anthem's probably going to come out on top in that crowd. Personally, because Crackdown 3 is, like, ancient at this point. Metro is a really quality series, but it's not, like, something that your average person knows about, I would say. Uh, Days Gone, <laughs> again, like, I, I'd be surprised if... I didn't even know that it, it the release date came out for it. So, you know, I, I'd be curious to see what their marketing push is going to be. Uh, but I think Anthem is probably the one that people are most curious about and one that people have the most eyes on in that in that pool, you know, maybe yeah, the division, yeah. but that's like you know, a couple weeks away. Yeah. I think, I think Anthem clearly will be the winner out of those. Yeah. Whether or not it's any good is another thing entirely. And obviously the division two is going to be most affected by Anthem. There's, there's an advantage and a disadvantage to coming out after Anthem. If Anthem's bad or not up to par, doesn't have a lot of content, the division two is going to look very, very good. Yeah. But if Anthem is this very robust game, which I suspect it's going to be, then division two, I don't want to say the division two is in trouble, but I think you're going to have a truncated player base. Compared to Division One, at that yeah, time. no, I, <laughs> I had no idea that that release date was so crowded. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a, that's it's a, a lot. Yeah, it, it is a lot. Two exclusives, so one for each console, and then a big ubiquitous shooter and a, a nice little kind of open world shooter RPG. So I'm looking forward to Metro Exodus, but me too. But uh, days, you know, uh, Crackdown, I'm not going to play. Anthem, I'm probably not going to play. So, you know, I, I, my, my personal options at that time are limited. Yeah. But those are that's a quality that that's like a you could see all those games getting eight or above on Metacritic easily every one of them so yeah, it's not maybe. it's not a bad thing we'll see Donald James has an interesting question I don't know if you can speak to this Microsoft IDs or Microsoft's ID at Xbox filled a void by putting putting Session into their showcase this year uh, Session's a skateboarding skate game one. yeah do you think that Session could be a replacement for Skate Four Is EA crazy for neglecting the fan base for such a large franchise? Do you have any thoughts on this? Because it does seem like there's a there's a clamoring for skate that they won't EA just won't give anyone any news yeah, on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's super smart of Microsoft to kind of get in that. Um, and that's what I thought session was when I saw it at the at the conference. I thought it's like oh oh my god they're making another skate, but it was like a new thing. But I mean, I I don't know I, I don't know how big skate was. I I wasn't super into it. Uh, I was more of like a Tony Hawk kind of arcadey. You know, arcade skate sure. game kind of guy, but apparently, like a lot of people love skate because I remember like everybody that I was uh, watching the conference with like freaked out about session. I was like, "What the heck? It's like really that big?" I mean, I, I guess if there's a market, you know, it's probably smart to get in there while nobody's there. Yeah, so, no, I agree. Yeah, why why not strike while the yeah, iron's hot? My takeaway from session from the trailer was the the animation was weird. Like, I remember, I remember, I don't usually comment or even notice this stuff, but like. 
there was a gra- like a magnet on everything that the guy was skating towards. So like he yeah. would jump up and then immediately stick to it and then start going. It was like re- you guys go watch it. It's really weird. But I think it could be cool if it's like a mix of uh, skate with the older Tony Hawk style, where it's like a little bit more arcadey, but still kind of feels genuinely good to master. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be a neat idea. I wonder if that's what that was but well we'll find out we'll I, see I, we know I, nothing about it right now but the donald's point i do think it's wise for microsoft to get involved in that in some way yeah and you know see if you can make some money off of that yeah cameron wallace says first off congrats on the launch of sacred symbols thank you cameron thank you man now with microsoft opening a new studio in santa monica and the advantages it brings with other studios in the area could you ever see sony opening or acquiring a studio in the seattle area for similar advantages with the likes of valve microsoft nintendo and even amazon in the area Thanks and keep up the great work. Beyond, we can't say that on the show. Cam, um, <laughs> Cam, uh, Sony already owns a studio in the Seattle area. Uh, Sucker Punch is in Bellevue, so that's right outside oh, really? of Seattle. Yeah, so they already do. Well, there you go. Let's do. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. We already kind of talked about this. Let's let's wrap up on this question. This last question here. All right. Ryan Gray says, "Like Kingdom Come Deliverance's setting of 1403 Bohemia. What a setting that is. What hyper-specific moment in world history?" Would you like to see get the same treatment and and turn into a full fledged game? Does anything strike you off the top of your head, or do you need a moment to think about that? Uh, like what time period? I would love to. Yeah, but he's saying hyper specific. So like, fourteen oh three Bohemia, I think set in a six square mile part of Bohemia. Right. So that is very specific. Hmm. That I mean, that's incredibly specific, actually. I don't really. Yeah, that's that's, that's incredibly like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like I got a lot of. Uh, I feel like I've already played a lot of games and like. Uh, settings and and times that I've been looking for, like Assassin's Creed Three, as mixed as I felt about that game, I thought the time period was like super cool. Yeah, and it was definitely like probably was. probably the main thing about that game that I loved more than anything else. Um, <laughs> even like the old uh, Destroy Humans games taking place in like the fifties and like forties and sixties and stuff. That, those were fun. I don't know. I I, I can't think of a specific. Time, yeah, like that I haven't played already. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think a lot of things have been explored, and you know, there are weird, <laughs> there are weird nuggets of game ideas that I have that I don't know how you would play, like play it out. Like, what what would a game, what kind of game would be if like um if the Apollo mission went to the moon, one of the real Apollo missions, but when they landed, they found something there. You know, so like, like like alternate history, type, right? Like, uh... and there's like a. 10 or 15 hour adventure of them landing on the moon, dealing with whatever's there and leaving. Like, that's pretty cool. That could be like 1969. Or yeah, something. yeah. I think that's a cooler way to look at it. Like what kind of, uh, what kind of moments in time would you love to have like an alternate history? Cause I think uh, right. Wolfenstein really scratched that itch. Oh, definitely. For me, it's like, it's like, it's, it's so jarring to play that game. It's like, Oh my God, this is so well realized. It, it, it is. feels so good. You're absolutely right. Resistance um, is another example of that. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, I don't know if I have a specific one. I, I, I'm really fond of like the 50s. And I think that's uh, in like the, the 40s and stuff. I think that's why I really like Fallout, even if <laughs> even if the games kind of meander in uh, quality. Yeah. And, and, and there's a little I'm a little confused by the aesthetic of Fallout 2 in, in regard to its story where. It's it's got the fifties aesthetic, but it takes place with a bomb. Chinese the, the Chinese bomb the United States in 2070 something. So they have the '50s aesthetic, but the bombs drop in the 2070s. Yeah, I don't. I never really. I know what they're going for. They're going for that like that that they're red terror like, retro future. Yeah, exactly. Like you, when you think of 
Like Jetsons. Yeah, when you think of yeah, exactly. When you think of fallout shelters and you think of like when we were all gonna get bombed into oblivion, that was at the time that we thought that was gonna happen. So I, I it's cute and I get it, but there is a little bit of a dissonance there where I kind of wish that it wasn't like that because then it, it feels like kind of because then everything feels the same in Fallout. Maybe I'm just down on it because I'm playing it right now. I'm, maybe. maybe I'm not being very fair on it. We'll talk about it next week. I mean, again. you would be probably the most fair on it if you're playing it. Yeah, that's true. You know? But I feel like maybe I'm just too in the in the weeds right now to like see it for what it is. But maybe not. You know, I don't know. It's 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 a conundrum. We'll revisit it next week. I'm sure you'll have maybe more to say about Prey next week as well. Again, this is a quiet time, so we might as well enjoy the ability to play what we well. We can always play what we want, but the ability to play go through our backlogs yeah, before yeah. the new stuff starts coming out. My God, I have so much. I have so much to get through. It's insane. How do you how do you budget your time to play games? By the way, like what does that look like to you? I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> to be honest, I don't. Have, I, I do not have. I, I pretty much, if I'm taking a break from editing or writing, I'll I'll go in and I'll try and lose myself in something. But that's kind of difficult when you got roommates that constantly scream. Yeah, that that, that, <laughs> that does that does sound difficult. And you have a you know you have a new video coming out soon on your YouTube channel, so we're excited about that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Jesus. Well, it's, it's, it'll be worth it. Your videos are great. I and, appreciate that, man. And so, yeah, go check out Chris's YouTube channel if you haven't checked it out yet. And maybe by the time you hear this, his video will be out. Are you going to release it this week? Uh, that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping not to spend too much time on it. I'm still waiting from audio uh, from a couple different uh, people. But, uh, yeah, should be out soon. Cool. I'm excited about that. So go support Chris's endeavors. Remember, you can also uh, listen to other Collins Last Stand products if you want. SideQuest is a YouTube channel that is basically once a week me just kind of it's like a video essay basically people enjoy them so you can go check those out chris and i talked a little bit before the show started but it, this week's side quest is about the arena net situation with the fire developers who got into a fight with someone on twitter who plays their game it's really very strange and my whole video is about like forgiveness so maybe you guys will be interested in checking that out not everything has to be escalated to 11 everything every time something happens it, it just it it's, I'm so exhausted by the in, the gaming industry. Yeah, it just just the way it, it reacts to everything. It lurches. I don't think it's just the gaming industry. I think uh, I, I, part of the video that I'm working on is talking about how like I feel like Twitter just ruined everything, and I just feel like people expect uh, pretty much if everything's not a tweets like if, if everything if anything is being said and it's not 280 characters and it's not worth paying attention to, I feel like that's genuinely messing with a lot of people's heads. Because I don't remember people being nearly as mad before Twitter. Oh, no. I, I think you're right. What's interesting about it is, like, are they, were, were people always this mad, but they had no way to tell anyone? Maybe. Maybe so they had, like, no choice but to, like, just cool down and right. relax. But now, like, they get, like, uh, they get fed. Right. <laughs> you know, by Twitter. It's like, oh, man, look at all these likes. Well, it just happened. It's just always, it's always something, right? Like, the, the, that guy, Stephen Miller, who's in the Trump administration, was, like, went and got sushi yesterday and was, like run out of the restaurant or something happened to him or whatever and it's just like oh really it's like i just why can't everyone just be normal whatever yeah. happened to just maybe we were never normal but why can't everyone just be decent so that's what my video is about yeah and we'll be excited to see chris's video as well but there are other cls stuff as well fireside chats the eclectic podcast series knock back the retro series uh that i do with my brother all about old things and it's it's a lot of fun so you can support the show uh, patreon.com slash collins last stand remember early access to our show three days early ad free access all that's available there the ability to submit questions comments concerns is there as well if not free feeds itunes google play podcast services of your choice i think stitcher tune in if you use those you can use those as well soundcloud.com slash sacred symbols i did submit the podcasts all of my podcasts including uh, sacred symbols to spotify but oh. it's like but it's a bit of a process. Yeah, Spotify's weird. I've tried to get stuff on Spotify for a while, and it's it's a it's an odd entity. 
Yeah, like I, I can't guarantee it's going to happen. Yeah. But but we'll see. we'll see. I think a lot of it has to do with I, I use SoundCloud as the as like my distributor of my RSS feed, and there's no native way to submit a SoundCloud RSS feed to to them. So you have to use like this weird Google form that I'm convinced no one's reading over there. <laughs> So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. So I am. I am working on it. If there's anywhere else you want to see the show, let me know. It's also available audio only. We don't record the video, but it's on YouTube as well. If you want to check it out there. So, Chris, any closing comments before we go? Uh no. I think I think we're all good. Yeah. Right? It was a good show. Yeah. I, I feel I feel pretty good. You're doing a great job. We appreciate all you guys out there. Thank you again for your kind words. Spread the word. Leave us reviews on iTunes or the podcast services of your choice because it really does help us. Yeah, it helps algorithmically. A ton. It, it really does. Like we, I tweeted out as a, a joke last week that like we were. I'm happy being number one on games and hobbies. Well, I'm sure we'll be back there. But seeing us at like number fourteen overall, <laughs> amongst bit, like a bit much. Yeah, we're ahead of like NPR and This American Life and stuff. I'm like, you got all right. Everyone, stop listening to it for a little while. But no, don't worry, we're not on that chart anymore at all. So oh, good. But uh, but. I thank goodness. Thank God we're not that popular. But I will say that as of the time we were recording this, this is the number one PlayStation podcast in the world, according to iTunes. So thank you so much for that. Well, look at that. We're very appreciative. Hopefully we never give up the ghost, but I'm sure we will. <laughs> we'll find out a way. We'll figure out a way to screw it up. <laughs> we so always- positive. <laughs> Chris, thank you for your time. Of course, man. Anytime. All of you, thank you for listening to us. Appreciate you. See you next time. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Harshiv Bahia, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burry, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Matthew Canoy, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Dan Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Luke Drake, David Ellis, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, Connor Gazian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Richard Green, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Josh Yeager, Paul Joyce, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Taylor Christian Laudrin, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Joe McPartland, Mike Menzel, Albert Miranda, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Adam O., Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius Scarzen Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Jordan Ray, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Rayanne Scheinabarger, Toby Schutman, German Sadu, Jordan Smith, Riley Smith, Alexander Suarez, Ahmad Tamar, Tam Tran, Kevin Van Eekren, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Chris Wong, Michael Wells, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Super Shot ST, Casual Misfits Gaming, Mad Mock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Dav9834, Chris, Doc2015, and Random Guy Radio.